Good morning, church. Wow, you, you guys are much better than where I'm from. They don't give me that warm of a greeting. Does that happen every week, Steve? Man, no, no. Well, hey, good morning to you. So good to be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Ryan, and um, as Anthony referenced earlier, um, God has done a huge work in my life through this church, and I'm forever indebted to his continued work here. And by God's grace, I have the privilege of being part of this Crosspoint family of churches. And uh, since I moved from Crosspoint when we were in Lake Nona to downtown Orlando, um, I've continued to labor uh, for the good of what God is doing in our Crosspoint family of churches. Steve has labored for the work of the gospel in downtown Orlando. I have been able to labor for the work of the gospel here in Weatherby Road, uh, all the way down to Cross Point Coast, all the way up to Peachtree City. And it is our hope that by God's grace, the communities that we're in, the cities that we're in, are transformed by the gospel for the glory of God. And today, we desire to see that happen here in us. This is an inside-out work that we're relying on. It's a work where God grabs our heart from the inside. And then there's this spilling over of the love of Jesus that pours out into the communities that we're in. And so I'm incredibly encouraged to bring uh, the Word of God here to you today. And I was just thinking about um, when, when I came to Cross Point, I was a college student at UCF. This was back in... 2001. And I was a college student in, at UCF, and I had come to uh, UCF to, to live the, the typical party life, right? You're, you're going to try to do as good as you can at school. That's secondary, but you're going to party as much as you can primarily. And uh, a few months into that, as I was invited to come to Crosspoint, as it was a small core group being planted, God changed the direction of my life. Uh, about three months into that. And um, I, I remember it really clearly. I was, uh, uh, I was reading my Bible on my dorm room floor. Uh, I was on my knees. Uh, God had, had led me to read this passage in Colossians. I was reading uh, this list of prayers. And the prayer was that God would use me for the glory of God, that I would live for the glory of God. And I had no idea what that even meant. So I had my Bible, I, I referenced Colossians 1.15, and I started reading it, and it brought me to my knees. And the passage says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created by Him and for Him. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And listen, church, He is the head of the body, the church. The firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might be preeminent. For God was pleased, it made God happy, that all of His fullness would dwell in Him and through Him reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through His blood 
shed on the cross. Maybe we could pray that prayer today that God would cause us to live for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, only you can cause that. Only your spirit can minister to that. Only your grace can transform us. Father, whether you are are taking stale hearts that have known you but have grown cold towards you today and and awakening them to your glory, whether you are taking, God, hearts that have never heard of you before as Lord and Savior and and they are coming alive to you here this morning, or, or Lord, whether you are infusing new joy and energy into those who are following you here today, regardless of where we're at, Lord, we need you to cause us to live for your glory. That we would live for the reconciliation, that work in which you have made us new by the blood of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church says together, amen. So we're continuing our series in The Seven Deadly Sins. It's entitled, Fighting for Joy. And how do we fight for joy but going to war with the things that steal our joy from Jesus? I believe fighting for joy is this simultaneous work where we are moving towards Jesus in love and devotion and moving away from sin by grace and obedience. And fighting for joy means that we are fighting for our affections in Christ. Because we know that that affection is fuel for a life of worship. And sin steals at our worship of God. And sin causes us to direct worship to things that aren't worthy. That aren't worth it. And so God is allowing us through the book of Proverbs to take a look at how these seven deadly sins steal our joy in Christ while moving us towards devotion in Jesus and moving us away from sin. Today we're talking about the deadly sin of anger or wrath. Now it's an interesting one as it relates to the seven deadly sins because it's not completely sinful to be angry because God is angry. In fact, God is wrathful, but God is righteous in his anger and righteous in his wrath. Why? Because when God's glory or his love is threatened, it brings about an anger. So we can acknowledge that today, some of us, all of us have been angry before. Angry isn't necessarily something done by us, but it's usually, in, it's usually infused by something that is done to us. And so, pastorally, I want to acknowledge that within anger, there's a lot of hurt. And there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of situations and circumstances that if I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with you or have lunch with you, would leave us both weeping at that table at that time together. Ray Ortland, he says, we all have our personal reasons for anger. I don't traffic or settling an argument between the kids. I mean, horrible experiences with permanently life-altering repercussions. And we never just get over it. Who of us skates through this life without being betrayed, shamed, lied about, for starters? 
Some days it can be hard to get out of bed and face the day. A low-grade fever of churning anger can leave us exhausted. I wonder how many of us this morning, if we're honest with ourselves before God, we can acknowledge a low-grade fever of anger that we've come into the Lord's house among the Lord's people with today. And the good news is, is that God wants you to come in here with that. And He wants you to surrender it, to lay it down before Him. I wonder what if we took the psalmist literally this morning when he says this in Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Laying our anger before the Lord. Laying our hearts bare before the Lord. Allowing God to do surgery on us. Not assuming that our anger is righteous. Because you're going to hear it later in the sermon. I'm going to tell you 99.8% of it is not righteous. Right? There's a lot of stuff in our hearts that we assume is right. That is actually misdirected, misguided, and an abomination before the Lord. So laying it before the Lord and asking Him to do His work. And, and that's all grace because the Lord loves us enough to not let us live with that low-grade fever of churning anger in our lives today. Uh, the big idea for our time together is freedom from wrath is found in God's perfect wrath upon injustice. Freedom from anger is trusting in God's perfect Anger upon injustice. Injustice makes us angry. When something we love is threatened, anger comes inside of us. In fact, a lot of us see the storyline of culture and know that, that anger isn't not, it's not a vice, it's a virtue in our culture today. Movies are made about anger. TV shows are made about anger. Anger is celebrated. You deserve to be angry. Anger is owed to you and you should make sure other people feel your wrath. Why? Because you are the center of your world. Last week I was watching a movie. Maybe you've seen it. Princess Bride. Anybody seen Princess Bride? Hello. My name is Anigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's my, my best Latin accent, all right? Hello, my name is Inigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. He spent his whole life looking for the six-fingered man on his right hand. The whole life he wanted vengeance because this man killed his father. And it was vengeance that drove him to a very admirable life. And we laugh at that because it is funny. You should watch that. That's your homework assignment from the sermon today. You should watch that movie. We laugh at that because it's funny, but that's a wasted life. Satan would be so happy if we give in to a life of anger and we live a life of vengeance so that we can be controlled by this emotion that is uncontrolled or unconstrained by the Spirit of God. And that's what God desires for us. As we talk about anger, uh, I want to give us a proverb baseline where we're going to return to for our time together. Uh, proverb 29 uh, and the 8 through 11. I'm going to read the text for us. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. 
If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Solomon has introduced us to the scoffer before in Proverbs, and the scoffer and the fool can be used simultaneously as the same thing. The scoffer is one who disregards God. Disregards God in their life. It lives a life of ignorance. Ignor- like ignoring God. As if God doesn't exist. And so when you look at the scoffer, you have to look at their heart. We have to look at the heart of the scoffer is an angry heart. And why is that? Because a heart, it, it's a heart that denies God's perfect justice. It's a heart that disregards that God is going to have His day of judgment upon all injustice and all that has come to threaten what is right and good and true in our lives. Now, I don't want to give the scoffer too much credit because the scoffer is not just angry at what is right, that which is threatened, what is right and good and true, but the scoffer threatens everything that they believe is right and good and true, which is often antithetical to what God believes is what is right and good and true. And so the scoffer sets a city aflame. They don't care if they burn the city down with their own house in it as long as the neighbors who have offended them have their house burned down as well. In fact, that's a win in their book. Anger is an uncontrollable emotion that causes this city to go up in smoke. But the wise turn away wrath. Why do the wise turn away wrath? Because in their anger, they don't sin. James says, be quick to listen, slow to anger. In fact, if you want to look at the nature and character of God, all you got to do is read 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love passage. If you read about love, you can just say, it's the same word could be used for God. God is not easily angered because God is love. It says in 2 Peter 3.9 that God doesn't want anyone to perish and all to come to repentance. So He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so if we want to see anger for what it truly is, then we have to allow our hearts to be surrendered to the Lord. The scoffer isn't one that just doesn't say they believe God. Many scoffers or fools will tell you they believe in God, but they live as though they are God. They live as though they are the one who is the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And so sometimes they'll even use God as a means to their end in order to justify their unrighteous anger or their unrighteous wrath. When we think about the seven deadly sins, we can almost look at him as a tree. The trunk and the roots are pride. Why are the trunks and, trunk and roots pride? Because the heart of the, deadly, the seven deadly sins is a heart that is self-focused. It's a heart that's turned inward. It's a heart that's self-concerned, self-protecting. 
And that heart that's turned in on self is easily threatened, easily vulnerable to someone experiencing their wrath or envy or lust. And so those things come from pride. And like branches, there are other things that come off of pride and anger. So wrath coming off of pride and then bitterness, resentfulness, malice, gossip, slander. You name it, they're all branches coming off of the branch of wrath, which comes off of pride. And from lust, and from envy, all of those things are are branches of a tree that unless we diagnose it from the trunk, from the roots, well, we're going to see, you can can cut all the branches off as much as you want, but they're just going to grow right back. If you've pulled weeds recently, you you know that to be the truth because I was pulling weeds the other day. It felt like I just landscaped that area. It turns out it was six months ago. And those weeds, man, they just, they grow really quick and you get used to seeing them there. And then somebody makes a sly comment, you know, oh yeah, it looks like you do a little landscaping. Yeah, be quiet. Um, And, but then you've got to pull those weeds up and make sure you get them from the root. And, And God really does want us to root it out. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These sins aren't isolated, but they're interconnected to a pattern, to a system. System of sin that exists within our hearts that comes from pride. At the root of anger is a lack of trust in God's goodness to repay evil what it deserves. We don't trust that God is sovereign. We don't trust that God is completely good. We don't trust that God is in control of the world and therefore in control of our lives. And so our hearts disbelieve and disobey. And so subtly we can get caught up into that pattern to think that we are the ones that have to repay evil against us on our own. At root, there is a lack of trust in our hearts. But we realize that God is good in His anger. And while anger is not completely a negative emotion, it's positive when it's centered upon God and His righteous judgment. Anger and wrath is a deeply felt emotion we experience when something we love is threatened. Um, last spring, going into summer, I was on the phone with a friend of mine. He's a pastor, and um, he's an African American man. And I, I I called him, and we were talking about church and ministry, and I could hear some some sadness in his voice. And I said, hey, man, is everything okay? He said, you know, I, ju- I just watched this video. Um, and, uh, and I'm so angry. I said, you know, tell me about it. And he, sh- he shared that he watched the video of Ahmad Arbery um, being shot in South Georgia. And I had no idea what he's talking about. I had no idea the anger that he experienced. In fact, uh, a lot of my experience can be far from that, but I really just sought to listen to him. And, um, and after the phone call, I watched the video. And man, 
my blood started to boil. How could this happen? What in the world is going on where that's okay? If someone that you love is threatened or, or your picture of justice as God gives it to this world is threatened, anger and wrath is a natural emotion that can be expressed in fury at points. But it is one that we have to turn towards the Lord. And when we see that those who are made in God's image are harmed, killed, it brings about anger because it brings about anger in God. But oftentimes, our anger problem isn't just related to that. It's a sin problem that works so down deep. Let me give you some examples of this. Anger takes the form of external rage. Now, um, a lot of us might think, I'm not an angry person because you don't have a Louisville slugger and you're not going at somebody's windshield, right? Uh, I'm not an angry person because I don't do that. You're not slashing your neighbor's tires because you know they parked on your side of the road. You, but down deep, there's this churning of anger. And it takes its outward expression in many ways. When we're betrayed, we think that we should tell everyone the truth of our experience. And we should vent at what really happened. And we find it, it's okay to do that. And when we do that, we do so in such a way that's going to cause the greatest amount of pain for the other person. When someone says something bad about us, rather than going to them about it, we go to other people. And as a result, it creates gossip and slander. And a raging wildfire is set with just a spark. Or maybe we refuse to love someone when they ask for forgiveness because the only recourse we have for what they've done to us is to cut them off. I'm going to inflict pain however I can and I am going to cut them off because that's the most loving thing I can do. Not for them but for me. That's a lie, by the way. Proverbs 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgressions. There's this cycle of anger where we give in to wrath and strife, and it just creates a cycle of wrath and strife. Because what happens when gossip and slander impact that other person, they begin to vent. They begin to gossip and slander. And there is a raging wildfire that is set because we haven't heard the psalmist, we haven't heard God that says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts. Give it to God. Walk in holiness. There's a way to walk in this. Second point we see is the habit. And the habit is wrath is allowing anger to fester in our hearts against God and others. It's not just an anger against others. It's an anger against God. We're mad at the world not going according to our plans. And so we enter that cycle. And anger, listen, anger is rooted in disbelief. When we are sinfully angry, it's rooted in a disbelief of God. And so we take matters into our own hands, and then that cycle continues. Proverbs 29, 9 and 10 says, A wise man has an argument with a fool, 
the fool only rages and laugh, and there is no quiet. If, if you haven't seen this play out very long, then you're probably not on social media. <laughs> you haven't looked at the comment section on Facebook or Twitter, right? There are fools that just constantly prowl in their anger, and they are letting this cycle churn over and over and over again. They think it's their calling. They're so misled to believe that in their anger they are righteous and they're doing some real damage. It says, bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. In their anger, they're actually taking the lives of those who are innocent. They're stealing at souls. Um, several years ago, when I moved to downtown Orlando, um, I, I, I kind of wish we could interview our neighbors before we moved into a house. Anybody else? You know, if I could just interview my neighbors in, 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 before, I, in, before I move in. And so we moved into a house uh, and got to know the neighbor. A few instances in the beginning caused us to say, yeah, this guy's interesting. And, um, and then one day, I was at the YMCA. I'm a volunteer chaplain at the YMCA, and so there's a cafe area, and I'm working at this cafe area. I should have been working out, uh, but we're not preaching on gluttony this morning. And so um, uh, I was at the cafe area at this uh, YMCA, and I got a call from my wife, Carrie, and she said um, she, she was crying. She was frustrated. And, and I said, hey, Listen, t- tell me what's going on. Now, my, my wife is a very, very even keel woman. She, I'm the emotional one of the two of us. <laughs> and so to get her crying and frustrated was, was really like I, I was paying attention in this call. And so she, she finally was able to, to tell me clearly what took place. She said, I was, I was on the phone with her. and I said, okay, tell me what happened. She said, Dave yelled at me. I said, Dave yelled at you? I said, why in the world would he yell at you? She said, not only that, he cursed me out in front of the kids. And and as she's telling me this, I'm packing up my stuff and everything in me turns tense. My temperature goes through the roof. My face is red. I get in the car. I hang up with her without even even realizing it. I get in the car. My, My hands are on the steering wheel and my knuckles are just white knuckled holding the steering wheel and I am driving over there and I'm just kind of picturing myself the, the, the right first and then the left and then you know how I'm going to dodge his punches and, and, and he, st- he stands no chance alright Dave stands no chance um, and so, uh, so and then I'm like that's not completely right and, and then I, I say to myself a gentle answer turns away wrath a gentle answer turns away wrath and so pull into the front of my house I can't find him I see finally he's in his garage before I even check on my wife, I go into this garage and I said, hey, Dave, what happened? And he said, uh, what, do you, what do you mean? I said, my wife just called me and said that you yelled at her and you cussed her out in front of my kids. He said, oh, yeah, well, the way you guys park. And I, I flipped. I said, I don't care about the way we park. That doesn't matter here. What world are you from where that's okay? And then it was him saying he was going to call the cops. I'm saying I'm going to call the cops. 
you know, and this whole cycle went on from there. And up to that point, my anger, I felt, was justified. I felt this is okay. This was okay, looking back at it now. But what happened is I went to bed with it that night. And in my heart, man, I stabbed Dave a thousand times with a dagger. I, I let that fester. I let that continue on. Dave's not my neighbor anymore, by the way, um, which is good. Uh, and, um, <laughs> but what happened was bitterness, resentfulness caused me to always look at this man with an unrighteous anger that did not see him as a man created by God in his glory and made in his image. So my heart burned against him. I demonized Dave. Do you know that when you demonize someone, you dehumanize them? I demonized Dave, and I killed him a thousand times in my heart. And that's where we walk in repentance. And listen, if, if, if it was always just a neighbor, but what about your spouse, your kids, your mom, your dad, your loved ones? your friends who are really close. It's not just those who are far away in arm's distance. Oftentimes, anger burns against those who are so close to us. This is why we need help. We have a habit of anger that's cultivated because that habit is a well-worn path that we've followed down many times. Years ago, we went up to... Uh, northern New York in Christmas time, and we went sledding. Uh, and if you've ever been sledding, you know that first time down the hill, it's not as easy as it looks because all that snow has to be plowed. In our habits, we plow that snow. You go down one time and you keep going down the same path, the ice packs down, and then, man, you're riding down really good, really smooth. We've been riding down that path. We've been riding down that trail We've been walking through that forest where we've cut that path before. We know it so well. We need new habits. We need Jesus to change our hearts. And this is where we need help. Do we see our sin and will we turn to the Lord for help? Do we see it as sinful? Turn to the Lord for help. I had to do that with Dave. Even still, I don't see him like I did before. I, I, I've never seen the guy since he's moved. But still that anger can come into my mind as soon as I pull in front of my house as all those events are replayed. Because that's, we've got a good memory of sin against us, but we don't have a very good memory of our sin against others, do we? Which is why we need to see our sin and ask for help from God for freedom. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool does not ask for help. It's really simple. A fool does not have their anger in check. A fool doesn't care about their habits. A fool walks the same way they've always walked, the same paths they've always gone gone because they don't think they need a new direction but we need a new direction 
A wise man quietly holds it back because a wise man keeps their anger in check because they seek the Lord of help and grace. Frederick Buchner says, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last twosome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. We are cannibalizing ourselves with anger. We are eating ourselves to death when we give full vent to our spirit. And this is where we have to see the steadfast love of God. That's the habit of God, by the way. That's the habit of the Lord. You see it as a refrain constantly in Scripture. We see it in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is like Niagara Falls. It just keeps pouring down, pouring out. It has no beginning. It has no end. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Listen, they are new every morning. They're brand new this morning. As you woke up, guess what? God's mercies were new today for you and for me. God's mercies is there. And the psalmist says, great, or I'm sorry, this is not the psalmist. Great is your faithfulness, Moses says. Great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness is great. And so we need the one who has a habit of love to replace the habits that we have that are against the Lord. And how do we do that? Well, we trust in the perfect wrath of God upon injustice. So do you want to see that you have forgiveness? The best way to see that you have forgiveness. Like, like we're here acknowledging that we deserve the wrath of God. I really hope that's acknowledgement that we can make this morning. We deserve the wrath of God. We've broken His law. We've lived not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self. We have spit on the work of Jesus. We have cursed upon the work of Jesus. But yet, it is Jesus who has came to save us. And how do we see that we have been saved by or from the wrath of God, but to see it in Christ. It's on the cross. On the cross, we see that God's wrath landed entirely, 100% upon Jesus Christ for all those who trust and believe in Him. When He was on that cross, it was as if God had a magnifying glass and it was placed right on Jesus. And as the sun beams through a magnifying glass, so God's wrath went through it and was placed on Jesus that period when He was on that cross. And His wrath burned against Him. And we could trust that God's perfect wrath is satisfied in one of two ways. Number one, on that cross. By trusting 
in his sufficient work to appease the injustice of our lives and our sin against him. Or we can trust God's wrath that will burn against the sinner because that's what the sinner deserves. So all of us struggle with unforgiveness to a certain degree. And maybe today you have unforgiveness towards a brother or sister in Christ that have sinned against you. And you know what you look towards for forgiveness. Not only for them, but for yourself. You look towards the cross. And you, by grace, can say, thank God you have saved them. And if that's hard to say, you say, Lord, help me say it. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. And you could rejoice that that brother or sister is going to worship alongside of you in heaven on that last day. That by God's grace, one day, even my neighbor Dave might be there. And I pray that for him. But if someone hasn't trusted in Jesus, you can trust that God's wrath will perfectly be demonstrated, be given to them for their sin. Eternity in hell is sufficient. Not because of what they've done against you, but what they've done against a holy and righteous God. And also because God takes sin against you very seriously. So seriously that He sent His Son to die for it or He will punish that sin on the day of judgment. 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Freedom from wrath is found by trusting in God's perfect wrath upon injustice. How do we do that? Number one, we realize that God is sovereign over all. God is sovereign over all. There's not one thing that escapes Him. And His, his eyes are especially tuned towards you because He loves you. And God is sovereign. He doesn't let any wicked thing come against you that He will not turn for His glory and your good. He is sovereign. Secondarily, we know that we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven because of His grace. I mean, that should cause our hearts to fill up with worship because we don't get what we deserve, but Christ got it. And because Christ got what we deserved, we get what He deserves, which is perfect love for all eternity. Deliverance. Delivered from our sin so that we can be forgiven by God's grace. And finally, how do we trust in God's perfect wrath? Well, we forgive as He forgave us. That's so hard. It is so hard. 
I don't know if it was just anger that happened in a traffic jam for you, but some of you have wounds that go down real deep. I preached this sermon last week at Father's Day, and, and I realized that, you know, there's a lot of people that are angry at their dads. There are a lot of people that are angry at their family members. There are a lot of people that have went through untold abuse. And I'm here to tell you that God's grace and forgiveness can saturate that story. And it doesn't simply mean that everything is okay. It doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, as we lead into the time of communion, I want you to realize that for forgiveness to take place, something has to happen. Tim Keller talks about it. He says, if you come into my house and you break a lamp, two things can happen. Either you can buy me a new lamp and everything's all good because you have taken that matter into your own hands and solved the problem, or I could absorb the expense myself and say it's all good. Now, you can do that with God. You can say, yeah, I've sinned against God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to absorb that expense on, on my own, and you can't. There's, there's no way you can possibly do that. You can't. If you pay for it, it's forever. Paying for your sin forever. That's what it deserves. But you could also trust that He's absorbed that expense through His wrath being absorbed in Christ Jesus. And so when we forgive others, it's realizing what, what God has done to forgive us. He absorbed that expense entirely through the cross, by the cross. And it's through that cross that we can forgive others as He has forgiven us. Let me pray and we'll take communion together. Father, thank You so much. Thank You so much for Your grace here today. Thank You so much for Your mercy. We lay ourselves entirely before You. We ask for Your help. We've got habits, God, that are so ingrained. And we need you to create new paths in our hearts. That you would walk us through. That you would walk us down. That you would travel with us over and over again. And that you would help us, Lord, trust in you. And live as a people of forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.